Can you imagine getting on a bicycle, riding 3,000 miles in 33 days just to have conversations with people? That's what this cyclist did. Stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Okay, in just a moment, we're going to talk to a cyclist. Now, I'm a cyclist, but I am nothing like this man. I want to first thank our new sponsor, TaylorBags.com. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Designed with today's multitasking women in mind, her Cameron Tote, this is the one that she just launched, is stylish yet understated. Made from the finest Italian pebble grain leather, this elegant tote features multiple interior pockets and hidden compartments thoughtfully designed to hold and secure everyday items such as a wallet, keys, and personal electronics. The Cameron Tote is truly fashionable yet functional. All right, I want to introduce my guest today, Neil Tomba, who happens to be a pastor happens to have written this book, which we will talk about, that covers this incredible journey. It's called The Listening Road. Neil, welcome. I couldn't wait to have you today and hear about all the pain that I read about in your book. <laughs> Valerie, thanks. I love being here, and I actually love talking about this trip and to get to show off one of my little toys, my bike. Well, let's just do that right now because we're going to talk about the entire trip and it was on this bike. So okay. hold it up. We want to see it. Okay, uh, Valerie, a couple things about this bike. Sure. You know, if you talk to any cyclist, they will tell you, I got a great deal on my bike. So we got a great deal on this. My cycling <laughs> team got this. It's actually a special made bike, the colors and everything for our cycling team. And Valerie, on the front of that book there, mm -hmm. you'll see that's a picture of me. Mm -hmm. And you know what that is? That's a mammal. Do you know what a mammal is? Well, I thought I did, but tell me. A middle-aged man in lycra. Okay. <laughs> and so for some people, that's a very scary thought when you come up to him and say, would you like to have a conversation? When you were, <laughs> all right, now audience, he allowed me to say this, 58 years old. Yes. And on that note, I mean, really, 58, wouldn't this have been a vision or a dream for someone younger? I hate to say that, but... It doesn't hurt my feelings. All right. I actually thought about doing this for 18 years before I actually did it. I was hmm. in Colorado one summer, and we were doing our thing. We'd go there as a family. I would do summer camps, and I would ride my bike everywhere. I would hike on mountains. And I would have conversations with people all the time. And one day I thought, I'd like to ride across the country, have conversations with people about things that matter, about their values, their life, and their faith. And I said to my wife, Vila, I'm going to ride across the country one day and you can follow me in our car. And she said, you're weird. You're crazy. I'm not going to follow you. 18 years previous, and we finally did it at 58. Thank you. And when was it? June 2019. So we just mm -hmm. beat mm -hmm. COVID, COVID and everybody wearing masks. Oh, my goodness. 
All right, tell us about this fabulous bike, and then I want to get into the ride. Okay, this bike is made of carbon fiber, and everybody wants to ask me about the seat because mm. it looks very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's a little counterintuitive that actually a seat like that, if you're going to ride for a really long time, is actually more comfortable. You have more control, more power, all those things. Hard to believe, and there were still times I was uncomfortable and the funny thing about this is our bike team there's about 20 guys and when we were buying these bikes it was like listening to a bunch of little boys <laughs> talk about hey are, are we going to get wheels with disc brakes or are we going to get wheels with a different kind of brakes and what kind of components and you know what's amazing valerie all of us have things in our life that we can talk about because we've spent so much time with them, so much time valuing them. And so when people say, how do you go out and have conversations with people? I say, you do it all the time. You talk about things that really matter to you. Like right now, everybody talks about football, right? Right, this is the season. Well, I have to, I have to ask you about that because Neil, what I find in my executive coaching field is that sometimes I'm coaching people who are more introverted and that's the last thing that they really want to do out, you know, socially. Yes. So tell me how you got into these conversations mm -hmm. and how did you just stop along the road choosing people to talk to? So sometimes you do have to take a little risk, make mm -hmm. a little jump. And I like to say even act on the impulse. Okay. So I'm riding along. And I remember one day we're riding along this highway in the middle of nowhere, and there's these two guys sitting on a front porch of a house that was right next to the highway. And I had this thought, I ought to have a conversation with them. And I wrote a little bit, and I just told myself, stop right now. Act on the impulse. And we turned around and went and had the conversation. And what was it? And it was with these two guys, and this was an interesting one. We asked them, what are you thinking about the world? And both of them were veterans mm, mm. of Vietnam. I bet they had good conversations. And they had some stories to tell. And these are all documented, aren't they, Neil, yes. in the book for people to read. Mm -hmm. In this, you said there were, I think, 168 conversations? About 120 conversations we had okay. documented and on film. You know, Valerie, this is just a little challenge right now to me as okay. I'm processing this. That thought when we say things now, when we speak things now, when we record things now, they're out there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes for not so good. Sometimes for good. And I'm actually really excited because right now we live in this world where people are afraid to talk to people about real things, right? There's so much conflict, mm -hmm. so much yes. tension. And one of the things I wanted to do with this bike ride was to help people see, hey, we could have a civil conversation about things that matter, things that are near and dear to our hearts. And I hope that it actually does get out there for people to say, wow, I hadn't thought about it that way. So hadn't thought about that it that way. What was the most surprising conversation that you had the most surprising conversation i'm going to lump it into a group of surprising conversations 
over and over again, I would say to somebody, hey, I'm here riding my bike across the country. We are here to be kind, curious, and respectful. We'd love to hear your story. We want to talk about things that matter from what you love about where you're living to your faith. And often people would say, I don't have time. Really? And then hmm. we would start talking. <laughs> and I they'd take time. I can't tell you how many times. <laughs> not only would they take time, they would say this. Do you have time for one more conversation? Oh, isn't that interesting? So I want to tell you about Jeffrey. Okay. He is a Native American Laguna tribe. We're out in the middle of nowhere. We took a wrong turn that day um, when we were just passing where he lived. We took wrong turns almost every day. Uh, that was a <laughs> We do that in life too, Neil. <laughs> That's a good point. So we take a wrong turn and we pass Jeffrey's house. It's in New Mexico. There's just a few adobe houses. There's not a lot of people around. And I see him bending over working on his car. Hmm. And I say, hello, my name's Neil. Want to have a conversation? He says, I don't have time. I'm working on my car. Kind of like, can't you see this? I asked Jeffrey, I said, Jeffrey, I see you have a shade tree over there. There ain't many trees around here. Can we stop, fill up our water bottles and have a snack? No problem. Go ahead. My friend who was riding the whole way with me, Wes, mm -hmm. says, did Jeffrey say no to a conversation? I said, he said no, but I don't think that's the end of this conversation. Next thing. Jeffrey comes walking over, he's holding his cell phone and he's showing me this cell phone and he starts pointing at his cell phone saying, there used to be a train station right here, which was about 20 yards from where we were standing. Mm -hmm. My grandfather had a hotel right here and he's telling me all about his family and his history. We're going through this. I start asking him questions about his faith, his Laguna faith. At the end of the time, Jeffrey brings out a piece of pottery. Mm. And I said, what is this for? He says, because you listened to my story. Isn't that interesting? And he's the one that started by saying, I don't have time. What does that tell you about a lot of people who are hesitant? And you know this as a pastor hesitant to open up are you saying that most people eventually when you stopped did open up they did what did they want to talk about their story they wanted somebody to listen to their story and they were afraid as a lot of us are afraid right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we are afraid that we're going to get into our story and somebody's going to first disagree with us because that's what we love to do now. True. They're afraid somebody's going to discount their story in some kind of way. Mm. Or they're afraid somebody's going to just listen and be truly uninterested. Well, you're hitting a chord, I think, with me, Neil, because as I think about in executive coaching for the first conversation I can just kind of make an alignment there with what you're saying in that it takes a little bit of time to open up but what about when we who are asking the questions or are wanting to be uh, have a conversation when we just listen 
You've yes. said that a lot in your book. You just listened. I didn't set out to write a book entitled The Listening Road. Mm -hmm. On my bike, there's a little sticker on it that says Conversations Coast to Coast. And that's how we talked about it. And at the end, after we had written the whole book and said what ultimately came out of this, we said The Listening Road. There you go. That's a great title. Yeah. So let's talk about, first of all, how you trained. Your daughter trained you. That's right. My daughter, every week, she would give me a little training plan with a computer program called Training Peaks. Every week, she would set in some metrics about how hard she wanted me to work, how much power. Each ride had a purpose. Isn't this fascinating? Every ride that I took during the week, because I didn't have forever to train. I have a job. Mm -hmm. Every ride had a specific purpose in terms of helping me get in shape for this. And we spent probably about a year doing a that year training. Now, when we talked, this is fascinating that you took a year to train, and yet... Before you ever started from Santa Monica to Annapolis Pier, yes. right? That was a full ride in 33 days. Two days to rest. That's it. Two days to two, rest. Two days. That was fascinating. So before you started, though, you shared with me what happened three days before. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. And you know what I didn't tell you? I didn't listen to my coach. <laughs> I told, There's a message there, I audience. Told listen to your coach. <laughs> my daughter, hey, I'm going to go ride this group ride on a Monday night. And she knows it's about 40 people, and they're going out there and hammering, as we say. Yes. It's going hard, hard. And she goes, Really? You're going to do that? Do you need to do that? Maybe you could just go ride by yourself. And I said, I'm not going to go that hard. Well, I was riding in the top 10 of the group came down a hill, my chain popped off. I was going about 25 miles an hour, and when I pushed down hard, the back wheel slipped, and next thing you know, it was just skin on asphalt. And the asphalt oh. doesn't give, the skin does. Yuck. And you were really injured, weren't you? I was really injured. I spent the next three nights on the floor in our upstairs room at times screaming it was just it was like my skin had been burned i called my wife i said vila will you go to the store right now and get as much gauze as you can and bandages and after somebody fixed my bike for me i rode home blood seeping through everywhere got in the shower put a washcloth in my mouth and bit down on it and just started scrubbing oh neil why didn't you go to a doctor right away that's a good question people <laughs> have asked me if if you've ever if you ever come to my church, you might hear me claiming to be a self-proclaimed physician at times, and I just thought oh, I could take care of it myself. Oh my gosh! Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, so uh, taking this to to the ride itself, because I, <laughs> I do read the books that my guests write. I can see you have it marked. Up. I did. And audience, what I'll tell you is, particularly if you're a cyclist, and even if you're not, it's fascinating because he's telling the story moment by moment. And in those moment by moments, you're describing the physicality of it, yeah. just without getting into a lot of gory details. But, but physically, what was the hardest part mm -hmm. for you and Wes, and I think a, a woman Caroline. rode with Caroline? What yeah. was the hardest part physically? 
I this was something I hadn't counted on. So we would have three meals a day, a team of ten people. So we're having to stop and start, and then having conversations, stopping and starting. And you know, you've already made sure everybody knew that I didn't do this at a super young age, <laughs> that I was fifty-eight. And stopping and starting was incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. Just getting started again, it just felt like, whoa, I got to get the oil moving. And you know, Valerie, we. We didn't talk about this, but right now, I just had this conversation before coming over here. Hmm. COVID has interrupted the world for churches, businesses, mm -hmm. and leaders are facing this. I have to restart some things. Mm -hmm. And we had this incredible vision we were working on at our church, incredible momentum. And I told two people, I said, you know, just this week, I'm actually grieving all that was happening great right before COVID hit and the struggle to get some of those things going again. Mm. You know, that's a good leadership uh, point too. And let me get to leadership as a pastor. As a pastor leader, what's it like? What's it like mm. to be a pastor? I've never asked a pastor that, wow. so tell me. It's like being a leader where I've heard many leaders in all kinds of walks of business say, it's lonely at the top. I bet. And sometimes as a pastor, it's hard to know who can I really say, wow, I struggled with the elder meeting last night. Mm -hmm. I struggled with the person who came and said, I like mask or I don't like mask. Mm -hmm. And what do I say? Exactly. Yeah. What do you do in times, seriously, all leaders face this, in times when you really don't know exactly what to say? That's right. What do you do? You know, Valerie, I will tell you this, not this June, but last June, I was depressed in a way I was never depressed before. Really? It was on the heels of political unrest, racial unrest, and COVID. Hmm. And as I, I went off to Colorado for about three weeks and I slept 12 hours a day every day. When I finally got out of that, here was the thing that I believe was the key element in me creating my own depression. I was trying to do it exactly, exactly right. I was trying to come up with the perfect solution about how to wear a mask or not wear a mask. I was trying to come up with the perfect solution about how to talk about the political or racial unrest. And you know, there's no exact right way to do that. Because if you're on this side, this side will say you're wrong. Yes. If you're on this side, this side is going to say you're wrong. It's really hard to get in the middle. It is. And the other thing that I'm finding hard, I'd love you to talk about, is, is we have to be, well, I say we, I don't know about it being a pastor, but most people have to be so careful of what we say, yeah. getting things taken out of perspective. 
uh, social media and all the dissing that can go on. That's I mean, right. One word can just throw the social media over to the this side of the of the dial. I'm not going to tell you the word, so don't ask me. But I, I was in a sermon the other day. I said a word, and I thought that word is going to set some people off. So here I oh, am in a sermon, dear. thinking about that. Mm. So Valerie, as a pastor, as a leader, I want to say this: we all need more help than we think we do. Hmm. So you get in that lonely space, partly because you're not reaching out for help. And what I love about you, you're a coach, and I have made it a point to have coaching in multiple areas of my life for years. Good. As a leader of an organization, I've done some coaching that looks at competence and character. Cycling. I've had multiple different coaches, including my daughter, whether I'm cycling or running or doing triathlons. I've had coaching for speaking every week. As a pastor a week. who gets up at the platform every week. And I've been preaching for 25 years. Oh. And every week still. And that says a lot about your integrity. Hmm. How so? What, what do you mean by that? Well, because uh, if you just felt like you could... I, I, I'll speak for the speaker's industry because I started my career as a professional speaker. Okay. And I remember hearing other speakers who had the same speech time after time after time and then they lose their edge i think if you just felt comfortable just to get up every single time without a little effort would you be authentic mm. that's what this show's about wow. authenticity you know valerie that's one of the unique things about a pastor if you stay in home mm -hmm. in your congregation you're doing a new speech if you want to call it that yeah every week is that hard that is hard how do you do it i have a very very disciplined structure around speaking there's lots of things in my life people look at me and say man that guy's all over the place but when it comes to speaking knowing i don't want to waste people's time mm -hmm. and i really do believe jesus has something unique to say it scares me to death to bore people with the Bible. I have a very disciplined structure around preparing to speak. And then I have this little prayer. God, give me something to say that will matter to your people. That's awesome. Very simple. Yeah. You had some, thank you for that. You had some great uh, lessons learned, teachable points of view. I'll, I'll just mention a couple of them, Neil, that you might want to expand on one of them was keep going five this was in the book keep going five more minutes then one more minute another another mm. the hill will eventually level out yeah let me tell you the story that day we were going through virginia this day mm -hmm. and at two one o'clock we stopped for lunch and we had only gone 30 miles and you had to go 100 every 100 day that day okay and my goal was to do 50 before lunch every day. We're at 30 miles at one. It took forever to get lunch. It was a terrible lunch. And my stomach felt awful after that lunch. So now at two o'clock, we're taking off with 70 miles to go and I'm sick. Ooh. And it was one of the few times I wondered, 
Is my body going to just stop here? I never got up in the morning and thought, I can't do this today. But that moment, I thought, I may be too sick. Mm-hmm. So I said to myself and to our team, I said, I'm going to go five more miles and tell me when five miles is up. We did five miles. I said, okay, tell me when the next five miles is up. And I did that until we reached 101 miles because we went 101 miles that day. Wow. There's a lot about that. There's a lot about that, Neil, not only physically or if you're exercising or doing things like that, but just when we are in our everyday lives trying to accomplish something and it seems like it's just not going to happen or you don't see the results. I'll take it there. There are many times, Neil, I don't see the results. And my thought is, as long as I'm doing it right, for the right reasons, for the right people. I'm just going to keep plugging on. What else can you ask? And I'm going to hang on to what you said. The hill will eventually level out. Let me get to another one that has so much to do with leadership. Embrace your intuition gift as a leader. You may need to act on impulse sometimes. So Valerie, we know we have these different tests that talks about our gifts and stuff. And sometimes we talk about people who operate on facts and data. We call it sensing, if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs test. And then you have these intuition people that can sometimes really drive people crazy. And I am on the intuition <laughs> side. And it's so easy. am I. Okay. So I live in a culture uh-huh. where most of the people I deal with are the facts people. And even our kind of church and our tradition is give us the facts from the Bible and give us the facts of what the next step is and we'll go. Well, it's tough when I get up and say, y'all, I'm not sure exactly, (laughs) but I have this sense this is where we should go. Mm. And don't you think that sense is sort of given to us yes if we pay attention to it it's called go with your gut sometimes go with your gut yes and so i i I sit in front of a group of leaders elders who their gifting is facts and managing risk and i say Mm. guys i'm going to ride my bike across the country (laughs) tell us why tell us all the benefits and i'm actually not great at always doing that and so for the next hour you know what they tell me what all the risk Uh everything that could go wrong and i'm kind of sitting there i wanted somebody to say hey great great idea you're gonna do awesome and you know what i love about those people and here's what i love about those people they tend to see what's not going to work or what could happen first which for people like i'll say you and i i think we're coming from the same place on this it causes us to pause and in leadership we sometimes have to pause neil and they're bringing and and they're bringing their gift yes exactly they're going to help us avoid some errors absolutely they do and they have And, you know, another one is, um, I appreciated this in our conversation ahead of time when you said, sometimes you catch a vision when your mind shifts from what's play to maybe it's a vision. 
and that related mm -hmm. to the bicycle, right? Yeah. Is play, but you made it a mission. This is about getting in touch with your passions, right? And that I believe God is using our whole story to launch us into something unique, special. I like to call it our divine platform. So when I was a little boy, my dad, he knew how to work. He came from an immigrant family and he knew the importance and value of work. Mm -hmm. So there was one word around our house that was important, the word work. work. The word play was kind of a four letter word. And I had a passion to go out, be outside, ride my bike. So as an adult, a 58 year adult, um, I'm thinking, oh man, should I be really ride my bike across the country? That <laughs> sounds like play. Right. That doesn't sound like work. Mm. But God used that passion mm -hmm. to be outside that I've always had. That passion to go ride a bike or run, just use my physical body that I've always had, he actually used that to launch a vision. So see, we never know. Yeah. We just never know. But but you said so eloquently, you found a passion that worked for you. Sometimes it's not easy when you have a passion and you can't figure out how that plays in leadership. Can you think of any example, Neil, of normal person, not a cyclist that's going 3,300 miles, mm -hmm. uh, who has a passion for... Um, I got one. Oh, good. What? Thinking about a good friend of mine. He grew up and his family was really poor. And he tells the story of what he had to wear to school. And now he has actually been very successful and he has a lot of wealth. Mm -hmm. And there is this passion in him to be generous and to help other people's dreams come true. So out of mm -hmm. his story and this passion to be generous, he, I'm not going to tell his stories, but I know because sometimes he'll ask me, hey, Neil, I want to give to something like this. Today, I sent him an email. Hey, here's something that uh, some people, my wife and I know, mm -hmm. and he will grab some of them. He won't grab others, but it is mind boggling. The amount of money he's given away to individuals. He likes giving to individuals and he's making an impact. Well, sometimes people who have a lot of wealth have that heart. Yeah. Sometimes they don't, but that's another story, isn't it? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I always love to ask a couple of questions that are kind of off the okay. off the radar for you, Neil. But I'm curious, what rubs you the wrong way? Wow, what rubs me the wrong way? Well, I'll go back to what we were talking about earlier. When somebody has a dream and immediately we talk about what's wrong or when there's a little pushback, mm. and this is just a little something right now, when there's a little pushback to that dream or vision or that really hard thing, and we will take one little bit of evidence, one negative comment, and people will say, 
well, Neil, I heard a lot of people saying they don't like that we're doing this. And you know what I'll ask them? What? Tell me how many is a lot of people. That's a really great comeback. Are, 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 we, are we saying <laughs> three people? There's yes. a thousand people we're talking about. Are we talking about three? Can you tell me I'm getting kind of heated up uh -huh, here? Uh -huh. It really drives me crazy uh -huh. that we do that to each other. Now, I want to hear their concerns, but let's not build a case of a lot of people don't like it when we're talking about four people or three people or whatever. That's great. You have an incredible story for so many reasons. Leadership 105, Health 1010. <laughs> but I do recommend, how can people get this book? So you can go on Amazon and you can get that book at the Listing Road. There's, If you want to get one from Dallas in a local bookstore and support a local bookstore, there there's a bookstore called Logos. Yes. It's in Snyder Plaza yes. and you can get it there. That's great. That's great. Neil, I want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, one final thought comes to my mind, uh, and I do want to sh you to show that, that book for a moment, too. But before you do, what is your next big deal you're going to do? Okay, Valerie, my next big deal. People have been asking me this. And I said, you know, I want to get this docu-series out. I want to just keep talking to people. I want to talk to people how they can actually have conversations about their faith because that's what this was about. But I'm going to tell you, and this is the first time I've said it publicly, the same time I had this dream for this bike ride, I've had this dream about having a camper van. Hmm. My kids, when we, they grew up, we had a custom van. And to continue to travel around the country and do my biking and having conversations with people. And it's possible this spring I may get my hands on one. Well, there you go. And I'm going to put on the side of it the listening road. So when you see my van and you say, hey, what's that about? I'd say, I rode my bike across the country to t have conversations with people about their life, about faith. Mm -hmm. And I'm just continuing that. I'd like to hear your story. That's great. Well, stay tuned. You may find him talking to you. <laughs> That's great, Neil. Thank you so much for being Thank on the show. Thank you, Valerie. I wish you all God's blessings. It's great. Awesome. And before we go, I have a Valerieism for today. And it's this. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. <laughs> Isn't that true? I remember a young lady came to me some time ago, and she wanted to be a coach, an executive coach. And she said, well, what do you do? Just, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of experience. I've worked in a company, and so I, I know I could be really good one. I've mentored people. And when I told her the process to be a certified ICF International Coach Federation certified coach, whether it's life coach, executive coach, whatever coach you want to be, there's a pretty stringent uh, process to it. And when I told her that, her first question was, how long would it take? And when I told her that, she said, and how much does it cost? And when I told her that, she just looked at me like deer in headlights. But that's the truth. Anything we do, if it's worthwhile, it's going to take a lot of effort, so never give up. That's my Valerieism for today. And don't forget, I've got two books, Monday Morning Leadership for Women and, yes, Doing It Right, only it's called Do It Right in book form. They are on Amazon. And listen, audience, you now know from the many years that I've been doing this podcast
that my passion is as an executive coach. And when a CEO asked me, well, what do leaders want to be coached on? My answer was, whatever's on their mind. And that's the truth. Sometimes we just need an external perspective from someone that's cut the scars, who's been through life, and might have a perspective to share. I would love to be your executive coach. Email me, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.